Well, aren't you glad he is a great God? Amen. <clears throat> That's good. Amen. How great thou art. Boy, one of the classics, isn't it? I don't think that one will ever get old as far as I'm concerned. I like that song. It's a great song. Well, take your Bible. Turn over to the book of James tonight. We're in our study tonight on when should we hold our tongues according to the scriptures? When should we hold our tongues? And uh, obviously that is... Uh, a statement or a phrase we make, not literally holding our tongues, but not speaking. When should we just not say anything? And that probably wasn't the perfect English either. But nonetheless, when should we hold our tongues according to Scripture? James chapter 3, we're going to begin in verse 3, read through verse 6. The Bible says, Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths, that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which, though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. 
Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. Well, we've been dealing with the tongue over the last few weeks, and been addressing and dealing, trying to understand a little bit when we should and shouldn't speak even. So many times we're compelled to say something, and we probably ought not to. There are times, of course, we ought to say something and we don't as well, but probably more than not, it's the other way. More than not, we should probably hold our tongue instead of sharing. The Bible is pretty clear on some things, and it tells us uh, that every idle word will be required of us at one point. And so we need to be very careful, don't we? Very careful. And the tongue creates so many problems. We don't have time to recap all of that. We've done that on a few occasions already, but as we started working through our study, we said, now, when is it a good idea to hold your tongue? When shouldn't you say some things? Well, we said, when you're tempted to flatter a wicked person. The Bible says in Proverbs 24, 24, he that saith unto the wicked, thou art righteous, him shall the people curse, nations shall abhor him. We not only said that, but we said, number two, if you're supposed to be working, you ought to just hold your tongue. And again, Proverbs 14, 23 says, In all labor there is profit, but the talk of the lips tendeth only to penury. And then number three, we said, well, when should we hold our tongues? In the heat of anger. In the heat of anger. He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that's broken down and without walls. It goes on to tell us in Proverbs 15, 1, A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. Proverbs 14, 17, he that is soon angry dealeth foolishly, and a man of wicked devices is hated. Number four, we said, well, when you don't have all the facts. When you don't have all the facts, you ought to hold your tongue. Proverbs 18, 13 states, he that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. How many times do we assume we understand things, know something, make statements, comments, come to conclusions before we really have all the facts, before we've really identified all the circumstances surrounding it, before we've ever really approached the right people and got the right answers, we're already coming to conclusions, and that can be a real problem. We'd be better off to hold our tongues until we got all the facts. And then we finally said, we ought to hold our tongues when you're tempted to joke about sin. See, we said sin is no joke. And the Bible's pretty clear on that one. Proverbs 14, 9 says, Fools make a mock at sin, but among the righteous there's favor. We ought not to be making fun of sin. That's not something that we ought to, we ought to get in a habit of doing. That's not a good thing at all. Uh, matter of fact, God's pretty, uh, pretty serious about what we say, and uh, sin is not something that he takes lightly for sure. And so we shouldn't be joking about it, laughing about it. That's not the way we ought to handle sin at all. Serious business. And tonight we want to kind of pick up and we want to uh, continue our study on this issue of when should we hold our tongue according to the scriptures. And so tonight, without further ado, let's have a word of prayer and then we'll continue with number six. And we'll see what situations and circumstances we ought to hold our tongue. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. Thank you again for this time together. Lord, a pretty practical lesson, Lord. These are things that each of us need reminded of consistently continually. 
Lord, we pray that you'd just work in our lives. We thank you for this morning, and we thank you, Father, for just your work in uh, our lives. We thank you for everything that you're doing. Tonight, we come to you again, believing and understanding that we have wasted our time, except we meet with you, the Master. Speak to me and through me. Allow me to be your mouthpiece tonight. Pray that I could truly be filled with your spirit, that I might say only those things which will please you most. And Father, for every listening ear, may you anoint them. May we take to heart these simple truths. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> Boy, taking these to heart is important because it'll save you a lot of heartache and trouble. Save us all trouble, won't it? When should we hold our tongue? Number six, if you'd be ashamed of your words later. If you'd be ashamed of your words later, you ought to probably just hold your tongue. What that's really saying is, I guess we could sum it up by saying, we need to think before we speak. Now, I don't know about you, but I've said a few things in my day before I ever thought. And boy, I wish I could have just kind of threw a net out there and brought them back in, you know. But it's too late. Once it's out there, it's out there. And, you know, probably more so today than ever, that's the case. I mean, too many times we find ourselves communicating and, and maybe even sharing grievances and uh, areas of, uh, of, of critical nature, an area of criti- uh, that we're critical concerning, uh, no, uh, an area that we are critical of, and we're doing it publicly. We're doing it maybe on Facebook or on internet or something like that. And boy, I'll tell you, once it's out there, it's out there, isn't it? The Bible says over in the book of Proverbs chapter 8, verse 8, turn there if you would, please. Proverbs 8, verse 8. These are all, if you haven't figured it out already, these are based out of Scripture. (laughs) These aren't just, I mean, it's good common sense too, mind you, but it's it's the sense God gives us, you know? And uh, Proverbs 8, verse 8 says, All the words of my mouth are in righteousness. There is nothing froward or perverse in them. I guarantee you, uh, if you, you and I will practice that right there, if we'll ensure that our uh, word, the words of our mouth are in righteousness and there's nothing froward or perverse in them, we will never have to be ashamed of our words after that. We'll never have to worry about that, would we? But that's not always the case. A man was working in the produce department, uh, and while he was working there, I've shared this before, but it's so, so pertinent, so practical, and, and kind of funny. But anyway, uh, a man, he was working in the produce department, and he was asked by a lady that if she could buy half a head of lettuce. He said, half a head? Are you serious? God grows these things, uh, these, these in whole heads, and that's how we sell them, ma'am. You mean, she persisted, that after all the years I've shopped here, you won't sell me a half a head of lettuce? Look, he said, If you like, I'll ask the manager. She kind of nodded and said, I'd appreciate that. So the young man marched to the front of the store. You won't believe this. There's a lame brain idiot of a lady back there who wants to know if she can buy a half a head of lettuce. He noticed the manager gesturing and turned around to see the lady standing behind him. And this nice lady was wondering if she could buy the other half. Later in the day, the manager cornered the young fellow and he said, that was the finest example of thinking on your feet that I've ever seen in my lifetime. Where'd you learn that? 
Well, I grew up in Grand Rapids, and if you know anything about Grand Rapids, you know that it's, it's known for its great hockey teams and ugly women. The manager's face got flushed, and he said, my wife's from Grand Rapids. And which hockey team did she play for? <laughs> I kind of think that's a funny one, but anyway. Listen, you know what? We need to think before we speak. We really do. I mean, if we'd be ashamed of the words that are coming out of our mouth later, then we ought not to say anything. We should just hold our tongues. In the book of Matthew, chapter 12, verse 36, the Bible says, once again, but I send you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. We've talked about that. We could take our phones right now and we could put them on record and then we could play them back. And boy, can you imagine some of the things that might be, if for some reason there was a recorder going on in our home sometimes, I think, wow, we'd be up a creek without a paddle. Can I tell you something that I find very interesting? Do you know that, and, and again, if I'm wrong, I, I can be wrong about this, I suppose, but I, I've been told by certain people that, that people are listening in on our conversations. Your actual, your phone, they will actually listen to your conversations. I'm just saying, have you ever wondered how it is that you can be talking about, boy, that would be fun, I would like to buy this, or I'd like to get that, and then all of a sudden it just shows up on your phones? I'm telling you, there's nothing secret today. we got to be very careful with that stuff. And again, I'm not trying to, you know, some conspiracy theory here or anything like that. But, you know, I, I, I'm just saying, can you imagine in heaven there's this tremendous, uh, I guess you'd call it recorder, and it's recording everything. And the truth is, is that every idle word is going to be brought back. And if we would be embarrassed, if we'd be ashamed of those words later, we probably should hold our tongues. And listen, someone says, well, yeah, but we all make mistakes and we all mess up. That is true. But let me tell you, we ought to be working very, very hard to make sure that's not going to be the case. See, God's standard and our standards often very different, isn't it? We say, well, we gotta, you got to understand, everybody has some critical times, every, critical moments. Everybody struggles with certain things. Everybody says things they shouldn't say. Everybody talks about people they shouldn't talk about. Everybody does that stuff. Really? Let me tell you something. I don't care if everybody does. You and I shouldn't, or at least we should do our best not to. Why? Because God's not accepting that as an excuse. President Calvin Coolidge was famously known as a man of very few words. His nickname was Silent Cal. His wife, Grace, told the story of a young woman that sat next to her husband at a dinner party. She told Coolidge she had a bet with a friend that she could get at least three words of conversation from him. Without looking at her, he quietly said, you lose. <laughs> That's two words, see? You lose, Okay. And that was it. That was all he said. See, Calvin Coolidge obviously understood very well how important it was to carefully choose our words. Boy, people can twist our words. People can make things up. You can think you're saying the right thing. And boy, you better be careful what you say and how you say it because people can really twist them up. So it better be a situation where at least we say the right things and they, they turn it and twist it instead of actually saying the wrong things and they just repeat it. Proverbs 29, 11 says, A fool uttereth all his mind, but a wise man keepeth it then till afterwards. Boy, I tell you what, there's a time to, to just hold our tongues. I want to give him a piece of my mind. I want to give her a piece of my mind. Uh, the Bible says, A fool uttereth all his mind, 
but a wise man keepeth it in till afterwards. You know what he's saying? He's saying, God's saying, listen, you ought to think before you speak. You ought to just calm down, get control of yourself, then think it through before you say a word. And if there's something to be said, then better to say it later while under control than in the midst or heat of emotion. Boy, we need to be careful. A fool uttereth all his mind. Why well, speak my mind? I brought it up just the other day, but uh, when you, you, Anne of Green Gables, and, and I can't remember what her name is. What's the friend? No, not, not those two, those guys. I'm talking about the older ladies. What's, um, what's um, um, my mind just went blank. Rachel Lynn. Whew. Thank you. I'm going blank up here. I don't know why, but in the midst of the preaching, I can't remember that show. But anyway, Rachel Lynn, she says, I'm known throughout these parts as a woman that speaks her mind. Remember that part? And Anne, I mean, Anne, she's ripped Anne for, you know, told her she had red hair and Anne went buck wild and Anne with an E, by the way. And she, I'm a, I'm a woman known in these parts as, as a woman that speaks my mind. Well, you know what? A fool uttereth all his mind. You know, that's not something necessarily to be proud of. We need to be careful with that. Sometimes words can truly be very, very ill-advised and they can be very harmful. If only we could erase our, our words, those kind of words, boy, wouldn't that be a blessing? In the washroom or in the bathroom of a place of business in London, I don't know why I had to define that, but anyway, uh, British newspaper publisher William Beaverbrook happened to meet Edward Heath, a young member of parliament about, uh, uh, of, of whom uh, Beaverbrook had printed an insulting article a few days earlier. He met him there in the restroom and he said, my dear chap, said the publisher, embarrassed by the meeting, I've been thinking it over and I was wrong. Here and now, I wish to apologize. Very well, said Heath. But next time, I wish you'd insult me in the washroom and apologize in your newspaper. See, he put him down in the newspaper. Now he's apologizing in the restroom. Hey, let me tell you, he said, no, I'd rather you just go ahead and call me what you want, say what you want here, and then go ahead and publish the other in the uh, newspaper. Well, I'll tell you, each and every one of us have said things that we are ashamed of, that we knew we shouldn't have said it. I don't know about you, but I'm about fed up to hear with our media. Can you imagine saying things that literally destroy people only to find that it was all made up? I don't know about you, but have you ever seen the retractions on the front page? You don't see refractions on the front page. They're tucked away somewhere, way in the back. Well, I'll tell you what, as believers, we shouldn't be guilty of saying things that aren't true. We better get all the facts, first of all. And then if we're going to say something that we'd be ashamed of later, we should just hold our tongues. Let's not fall into those traps. Be very careful. Number six, if you would be ashamed of your words later. Number seven, when should we hold our tongues? Well, before we make a vow or promise, we'll not keep. Before we make a vow or promise, we will not keep. In Ecclesiastes 5, turn there, would you please, verses 4 and 5. What a tremendous passage this is. 
See, the Bible is a very practical book. It's not really so antiquated. It's not really that impractical. It's very practical. It's, it's where we live today. It's, it's really, really, really right on time. Ecclesiastes 5, 4 through 5. <clears throat> this is talking about a vow that we make to God. But may I say that God's pretty interested in any vow we make. It says, but when thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Wow, that was a pretty big statement, wasn't it? I mean, I don't know about you, but let me ask you something. If you, you got to heaven, you know, one of the things we all want to hear is, well done, thou good and faithful servant. How horrible would it be to hear God say, thou fool? You didn't keep your vows. Wouldn't that be horrible? I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to hear that. I wouldn't hear that either. But anyway, wow. Those days are over for me, praise the Lord. Wow. I remember staying up all night with the kids. I remember, no, but anyway, you didn't have a seat share. I was just joking, okay? Okay, so anyway, she was up coming out of her seat. It's like, okay, right. No, I'm teasing. But anyway, well, I'm not teasing about one, of it, one side of it. But nonetheless, what, we need to be very weary of that. We need to be careful with this. He goes on to say, Better is it that thou shouldest not vow than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. So not keeping our vows is a problem. And may I say, it's an epidemic problem today. It's, it's of epidemic proportions, I should say. We are quick to excuse ourselves from our commitments. And, and really, a, a commitment is a vow of sorts, is it not? If I commit myself to something, I have, in a sense, vowed. I've made a promise. I've committed to something. And, and you know what? It is of epidemic proportions that we do not keep our vows. We have all kinds of excuses why we just can't do this or do that. Now, let me ask you this. Here's a question for you. What do you believe is an acceptable excuse for not keeping your commitment? What is an acceptable excuse for not keeping a commitment that you make? So you probably have some. You probably have a few of those. Many enter into a vow or a commitment with conditions. We make a commitment. We make a vow with conditions. The only problem is that you're the only one that knows those conditions. That's what makes it wrong. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with a conditional commitment. There's nothing wrong with them if the conditions are spelled out ahead of time. If... You know, if I tell you I'm going to go out with you on Friday night, unless I'm asked out by so-and-so, then that's a conditional commitment. I'm going to go out with you unless I'm asked to go out with this person. That person asked me, I call and say, I'm sorry, but so-and-so asked me, I won't be able to go out with you. Well, that, that, I haven't broke the commitment. That was a conditional commitment. You are well aware of the condition. But if I tell you I'm going to go out with you on Friday night, and then I turn around and I get asked by someone else to go out with them and I choose to go out with them and I don't go out with you, then I have broken a commitment and I have this and essentially lied to you. I have not kept a vow. See, we make commitments with, without expressed conditions too often. We assume others will understand if we fail to follow through. Well, they're going to know. I mean, they understand why I didn't, come, I didn't follow through. The kids will know that I couldn't go out, take them out uh, for ice cream tonight. They'll know that. I mean, I lost my job, so the kids will know I just can't afford to take them out. 
Kids don't know those things. No, you're assuming things. You made a commitment. They're excited. They're waiting. They're ready. You better let them know what's going on. You better be careful before you make commitments. That's why the Bible says over there in the book of James that, you know, it's if the Lord will. I'm not gonna, I'm, you know, I'll see you in church Wednesday night, God willing. Because I don't know that for sure. There's sometimes you need to be very careful with this issue. I mean, every time, all the time, we need to be careful. Um, when we say, I promise I'll be there, for the most part, folks will understand why you didn't keep your promise if you end up in the hospital or in a morgue. They're okay with that usually. But most don't understand the number of excuses that we usually give. Well, this came up, that came up. You don't understand. Or we just don't even go. We just don't show up. And when it's all said and done, we did promise then. We made this commitment. No one else forced us to. Now, we're given the solution to this problem, for the most part, in verse 5. And, and it says, Better is it that thou shouldest not vow than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. You'd be better off not to make the vow than to make it and not pay. That's the solution. Don't promise something that you're not confident and convinced you're going to make. I mean, you know, we used to say things like, I'll I'll be there unless I'm providentially hindered. And what that meant was either I'm in the hospital or I'm in the morgue. We were very clear. You know, if I'm in a major accident on the way over to church, I probably won't make it. It providentially hindered. Something came up that I could not control. Something came up that only God could have placed in my pathway. And most people will understand that. But let me tell you something. You need to be real careful when you make commitments to your children. And I'm going to tell you something. Kids, kids are like, everything's black and white to a child. It's, there's no gray area for kids. If you tell them that I'm gonna, we're going to go to the zoo next Thursday and you don't go to the zoo, they're like, why not? What's going on? What happened? Now, I understand things like that, can, things can come up. Even providential things can come up. And our kids have to learn those things. But let me tell you something. You pull that enough, you will lose the, the, the respect and the confidence of your children in you. You can't do stuff like that. You can't tell your wife, honey, we're going to go out next Friday night, or we're going to go out Thursday night. We're going to do this, or we're going to do that, and then we don't go. Well, honey, once again, like always, I have to work tonight. She's like, I know, but... Be careful with that. Don't make a commitment you can't keep. Make sure you put conditions on it then if you're not able. Listen, if I don't have to work next Thursday night, honey, we're going out. How hard was that? I mean, think it through before you say something. Before you make a vow, think through what some of the things could happen, something that could happen that could keep you from accomplishing that or fulfilling that. How many times does a a mom who... Maybe a, a dad's uh, left or walked out, and she's like, man, he promises to see the kids. He promises to, to take the kids out. He promises to come over and see them over and over again, and he doesn't follow through. Boy, what does that say to the children of that dad and his real concern and love for them? Well, daddy tells me all the time, but he never shows up. Daddy said we're going to do this, but he never comes over to the house, never picks me up. Listen, if you got a child or something and, and your situation's like it, don't you tell your kids you're going to do something unless you're going to follow through and do it. I'm just saying that we're talking about vows, and we are believers today. 
We're the children of God. We shouldn't be telling fibs. We shouldn't be telling lies. We shouldn't be not keeping the commitments that we make. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 5.2, Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven, and thou upon earth. Therefore, let thy words be few. That's amazing, really. Let me ask you, what is an acceptable reason in God's eyes to break a vow? See, I think there's a difference. Well, you understand why I couldn't make it. You know why this happened, and you know why I wasn't there when I said I would be there. And, 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 and if it was just, that was the exception to the rule, everybody goes, yeah, it's fine. But boy, when you get that, when that becomes the rule, things start happening where we're not keeping our vows, we're not following through with what we say we're going to do, that's a problem. And so many times we think it's an acceptable excuse that we're giving, but others don't. And the real question is, what is an acceptable reason in God's eyes to break a vow? I think his standard's even higher than most of our friends, family, and neighbors. As, a wealthy, um, as the wealthy oil tycoon lay on his deathbed, his pastor talked of God's healing power. Pastor, pastor, he grasped, if God heals me, I'll give the church a million dollars. Miraculously, the man revived, and within a few short weeks, he was out of the hospital. One day, several months later, he and the pastor chatted on the sidewalk in front of the hardware store. You know, said the pastor, uh, when you were in the hospital dying, you promised to give the church a million dollars if you got well. And honestly, I haven't seen it yet. Did I say that? The tycoon said. I guess that goes to show how sick I really was. I'm going to tell you something. We got to be careful with what we say, huh? Boy, I'll tell you what. Before we make a vow or a promise that we'll not keep, we ought to just shut our mouths. We ought to just hold our tongues. Let's look at another one. How about this one? When should we hold our tongues? Well, when you're tempted to tell an outright lie. By the way, little white lies are lies. Okay, so let's, let's, let's clarify. God doesn't have degrees of lies. I mean, first degree lie, second degree lie, third degree lie. It's not like that. It's not like murder, okay? And God doesn't really see things quite probably the way we do too, but, but there are reasons. Uh, I don't say there's reasons to murder, but, but anyway, there, there's degrees. But anyway, there aren't with the lying, okay? Proverbs 12, 22. Let's look at that one. Proverbs 12, 22. It's not murder if it's justifiable homicide, right? We don't call it murder. It's justifiable homicide. But with lying, it's just lying. It doesn't matter what degree you would like to believe it to be. Proverbs 12, 22. Lying lips are not always bad to the Lord. As long as they're said to try to make it easier on our friends and family. But they that deal truly are his delight. No, it says lying lips are what? An abomination. Have you ever thought about, have you ever done a study on abomination? Have you ever looked at how many things or what things are considered abomination to God? Now, if you've ever done that, or maybe you've heard enough preaching and you've heard some teaching and you're thinking, I could list a couple of abominations, things that are called abomination. 
Sometimes if we're not careful, we forget that lying lips are an abomination to the God that created us. It, it's, it's, I don't know, it's just easy to think sometimes, well, that's not a very big deal. I mean, it's not a big lie I'm telling. Well, Leo Burnett Advertising Agency did a nationwide telephone survey on lying about 10 years ago. And they cataloged when Americans lie. They cataloged how Americans lie and why they lie. So when they lie, how they lie, and why they lie. The results were very interesting. 91% of all Americans confessed that they regularly lied. That's crazy, isn't it? 91% of those that were surveyed said, you know what, we lie consistently, regularly. 79% had given out false phone numbers or invented new identities when meeting strangers on airplanes. Now, that's probably a good idea. But anyway, <laughs> I, I, I'm not going there, but uh, I, I had a guy call me the other day. I, I don't know. I don't know. It drives me nuts, all right? Um, uh, hello, is Susan there? And I said, this is her. <laughs> and the guy just paused for a while. And then all of a sudden he went, hi, I'm Officer So-and-so from such-and-such. You know, they're always doing that. And when you say, see, because I get tired of it. Because when you say, I'm sorry, but uh, you have a wrong number, they go, oh, well, who am I talking to? This is Officer So-and-so from such-and-such. And they, did it, they knew that they, that they weren't calling a number. They didn't know who they were calling. I hate that they're lying to me, acting like they really intended to get Susan, really intended to get, and it bothers me. So I kind of play around with them. I guess that'd be called a lie too. But anyway, because I really am not Susan. <clears throat> Nowadays, they don't know that anyway. They... <laughs> and the truth is, I probably don't know it yet. Do you understand what I'm saying in the, in the age in which we live? Somebody sooner or later will convince me otherwise, I'm sure, at the rate I'm going, if I listen to all the voices in the world. You better be careful what your children are listening to, by the way. They are teaching and training six, seven, and eight-year-olds that they can't know what their identity is, their gender identity is right now. It's sad. It is pitiful, and it is, a, it, it is alarming, to say the least. Uh, but anyway, I'm I getting off that topic, because that's not what we're dealing with. But we go on to say 20% of Americans, one out of every five, admitted that they couldn't get through even one day without going along with a previously manufactured lie. What do you believe that the survey revealed that we lie about most? Our income, our weight, or our age? Which one do you think? It's our weight. Isn't that funny? They, they say that we lie more about our weight than anything else. And it's kind of funny when you think about that because that's one of the one things you, I'm sure you're not able to really lie too much about. It's pretty obvious, you know. In second place was money. And third was our age. There was also a contender that came into fourth place. Our true hair color. I got to believe that's, I, I don't know if that's mostly guys. That could be guys nowadays. We're pretty vain too. What color's your hair? Uh, blonde? Oh, I see those dark roots. Those are interesting. But anyway, I'm just saying we lie about our hair color. And that's unbelievable. I mean, just things like this, crazy stuff. Proverbs 4.24 says, Put away from thee a froward mouth, and perverse lips put far from thee. 
That's a great verse, Proverbs 4.24. Put away from thee a froward mouth and perverse lips put far from thee. You know, there's a number of famous American fibs. You say, what do you mean? Well, let me give you an example. The check's in the mail. That's a famous American fib. How about, I'll start my diet tomorrow. (laughs) Okay? Or, Or maybe, we service what we sell. Oh, boy, that one, sometimes that's true, but a lot of times it's not. Or how about this one? Give me your number, and the doctor will call you right back. Got a few nurses in here. I'm sorry, ladies. But anyway, <clears throat> how about this one? Money cheerfully refunded. <laughs> After how long? That's the only thing I'm under. How about, oh, this is a good one. Everyone's going to love this one. One size fits all. <laughs> I mean, what is that, right? You know? You, you ever see those one hat, fit, one, one size fits all hats? Okay. And, 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 and unbelievable shirts, all kind of crazy stuff. One size fits all. Okay. How about this one? Uh, this offer is limited to the first 100 people who call in. You, you're like, yeah, whatever. How about, your luggage isn't lost, it's only misplaced. <laughs> okay, yeah. How about, leave your resume, we'll keep it on file. Um, oh, this is a good one. This hurts me more than it's going to hurt you. Yeah, right. I just need five minutes of your time. We need to be careful with that one, by the way, if you're out door knocking. Don't, don't say things like that if you're out door knocking. Just say, I, I need a moment of your time. Moment is not defined. Okay? I mean, really. I mean, honestly. Uh, you know, somebody could watch a show that's two hours ago. Man, that just flew by. It's just like that. Well, if you lead someone to Christ, it'll be like that. A moment of their time. Just, I need a moment of your time. I do. I need a moment. What does that mean? Five minutes? Two minutes? One minute? An hour? I don't know, but at least it's not an outright lie. We're not lying to someone. Um, <clears throat> your table will be ready in a few minutes. <laughs> Usually, it, they're better at that now than they used to be, I think. Open wide, it won't hurt a bit. Dennis, yeah. Oof. Oh, we love Dennis, by the way, young people. It's great. Okay, it's not the money, it's the principle. That's just one of those fibs a lot of times people say. Now, I do live like that, I'll be honest with you. I, I'm funny like that. I would rather throw money away and make it right than, well, not throw it away, but I'd rather cost me something and cost somebody else something if there's a problem. I can't stand when people... Whatever, I'm not going to go into it. We have a few situations at the church, and so I'm, I'm ready to lose my mind. But anyway, um, it, it's crazy. We've got insurance situations around here that are crazy right now. We had somebody come flying up through our parking lot about, not through our parking lot, but they came over the, over the edge there and literally just flew right up over the, the side through our grass, plowed down one of our light poles, literally took it completely out. I'm talking about the base. And that's all concrete. Ripped it right out of the base, flew right on up, up that hill where those trees are set as you enter and plowed into a tree up there. We looked on our, <laughs> we got on our, uh, our cameras, the security cameras, we found, we found uh, five police cars out there around 2.30 in the morning one night and they were hauling off this car and everything else. And uh, 
Interestingly enough, uh, the guy who they thought was driving said, I didn't drive. My dude was driving. That was what was in the police report. My dude was driving. What is that? And then they said it wasn't even his car. So they give us an address. No phone number. Nor do they find out who's insurance, who covers that car. We call and say, hey, how are we supposed to find out what their insurance is? What, who to make the claim to? And they said, well, just, just claim it on your insurance. Yeah, I'm not joking. And we said, well, we have an address. Do you want us just to go over there and confront the person? Oh, no, we don't suggest that at all. Well, then will one of your police officers do that? Maybe the officer that actually took the information? And they basically said, well, we're pretty much done with this. Uh, just turn it into your own insurance. Well, you know how that works. If you make a claim against your insurance, it's going to cost you down the road potentially. Not only that, but you've got to pay your deductible, even with property damage. It, it's crazy. I'm sorry. I'm just, now I'm just kind of sharing my frustration, okay? <laughs> I, I'm going to back off that one because we're, we're ready to close here. But, but isn't it crazy what happens, you know? I mean, it's just nuts. I, I don't know. I, so I, what I guess I'm saying is there's, that wasn't even the situation that I want to really get somebody with. But anyway... Um, it's just nuts. We got all kind of stuff going on. And, and, and those things drive me crazy, okay? But nonetheless, when you're tempted to tell an outright lie, I wanted to call that lady and say that I was a lawyer or from the Akron Police Department. You know, I wanted to really go crazy, you know, and kind of like fake it all out, you know, and, and I thought that'd be lying, so I can't do it. But anyway, I was tempted to. But anyway, I, I, I tried to reach her anyway, but we, with the, it was not a current number. So anyway, it was just an internet number. But uh, in his book, Wade and Wanting, D.L. Moody states a proverb. He says, a lie has no legs. He says, it requires other lies to support it. Tell one lie and you're forced to tell others on its back. And in order to back it up. Well, we just talked about that, how so many people, 20, 20% of Americans admitted that they couldn't even get through even in one day without going along with a previously manufactured lie. Because what Moody's saying is true. He goes on to say, uh, it, it, uh, the, it goes on to say, but Mr. Moody, you say, how can I check myself? And how can I overcome the habit of lying and gossip? And he's, the cure is simple, but not very pleasant. He goes on to say, treat it as sin and confess it to God. And the man whom you have wronged, as soon as you catch yourself lying, go straight to the person and confess you have lied. Let your confession be as wide as your transgression. If you have slandered or lied about anyone in public, let your confession be public. Many a person says some mean, false thing about another in, a, in the presence of others and then tries to patch it up by going to the person alone. That's not making restitution, he says. I need not go to God with confession until I have made it right with that person. It is my, if it is in my power to do so, he will not hear me. Hannah Moore's method. This is still in Moody's book. Hannah Moore's method was a sure cure for scandal. Whenever she was told anything derogatory of another, her invariable reply was, Come, we will go and ask, it, we will go and ask if it be true. That's the first thing she'd say. Come. We will go and ask if it be true. 
The effect was sometimes ludicrously painful, he says. <laughs> the talebearer was taken aback, stammered out a qualification or begged that no notice might be taken of the statement, but the good lady was inexorable, inexorable. Off she took the scandalmonger to the scandalized to make inquiry and compare accounts. Didn't matter. She said, oh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said it. Too bad. Let's go check it out. He goes on to say, it's not likely that anybody ventured a second time to repeat a gossipy story to Hannah Moore. Oh, I just think it's important to realize if people always come to you with things that are wrong, like gossip, it's because you listen to it. Yeah. They know that you're a friendly ear. Well, I don't want to hear that stuff. You can keep that to yourself. Well, Hannah Moore's got something going for her. I think she's handling it the proper way. Come on, let's go check it out. You said that about so-and-so in the church? Come on, let's go see him right now. I'm not going with you. That's all right, I'll go then. I'll ask them, tell them you said so. I guarantee you they'll never come to you again and say anything like that again. You won't ever have to worry about that. I can't stand it. Everybody's always coming to me telling me things I don't want to hear. It's because you keep listening, not dealing with it biblically. Well, there you go. Thank you, preacher. That's a blessing. <laughs> That's good stuff. I'm telling you, if God would look at you and I today, how are we doing with this issue of, of, of lying? Do you find yourself lying? Those little white lies? I don't, I, don't, I don't care if it's, oh, he's not here right now, and he's sitting over there. My mom used to make us leave the house. If there was a girl or something, and there was tons of girls calling us all the time. <clears throat> but if, if, I'm joking. Come on now. Take it easy. So anyway, um, she, would, she would say, is, 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 uh, is Mark there? And... Uh, She's looking at me, and I'm like, don't do it. She's like, you're here. I take off out the door. She goes, he's not at home right now. He's not in the home right now. Okay, I'll take a message. And then I'm like, is she off the phone? Are he off the phone yet? Yeah. And I go back in. My mom would not lie about that. We had to leave the house. I'm running out there, standing on the sidewalk, freezing. All right, all clear, back in. <laughs> I mean, you, you think, I mean, that sounds crazy. But let me tell you something. Sometimes we, we really don't, we don't take this serious enough. And, and we need to. Hey, there are little ears listening, little eyes watching, and little minds being formed. Boy, you need to be careful, Mom and Dad. We need to be careful, Grandma, Grandpa. We need to be careful, teenager, child, all of us. We just need to obey the Lord. And let's not be lying. Let's tell it like it is. And it may not always be comfortable, but better to tell the truth than to lie. So there's just a few times when we ought to hold our tongues. And we got a few more we'll discuss and consider as well along the way. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we